Hello, I'm Russell Davis. Uh, this is an interview with Kate Waters, uh, Chief Strategy Officer of Now Advertising. It's one of a series I'm doing to mark the 50th anniversary of planning, which is this year, um, in conjunction with the APG, who are doing lots of other things to celebrate, details of which you can find out about on their website. Uh, this was the first interview I recorded as, as part of this series, and I was still working out what I was doing with the sound, so it's not quite as good as some of the others. But the stories Kate tells and the way she thinks are well worth listening to. So I hope you enjoy. Thanks. Let's start with the ad you're proud of. So what thing have you worked on that you, you actually thought was good? Um, so the thing that I am most proud of is probably an ad that was called Fatty Cigarette that we made for the British Heart Foundation. Way back in, I think, 2003. Um, it launched right at the end of 2003. I've always been one of those people who is equally interested in arts and science and actually and so I'm amongst my friends within the industry they tease me about being a bit of a nerd and making fatty cigarette was the first time where actually I could really indulge my inner nerd and get really excited about the science and it made a big difference to the outcome and the effectiveness of the ad so actually um, and I'd, I'd done a psychology degree uh, and done lots of behavioural psychology, which I hadn't really remembered, and all of these things came together. Uh, so it was, it was kind of personally just really interesting. Can we, before we get anywhere, can you describe the ad for people who might yes. be seeing it? Yes. So the ad was an anti-smoking ad, and it tells the story of uh, the nasty, gunky stuff that you find in your arteries. So the way in which the, the ad works is you open on a group of friends in a pub, and they're having a chat, uh, and this was in the days before the smoking ban, so they're also um, having a cigarette. Oh, so wow, it yeah. probably looks really, really dated now, because yeah, it's such an yeah. unusual uh, sight. You, you see them having a chat, and you see a woman pull a cigarette uh, out of a packet, and as she does that, this really horrible, sort of gloopy stuff comes out, and she, she then sort of goes to light it, and this nasty, gloopy stuff drops on her um, on her trousers and she sort of wipes it away with a look of disgust on it. Kind of the conversation carries on, so it's not right. like anybody's particularly surprised, it sort of just happens. And as that happens, a voiceover explains that every time you smoke a cigarette, it makes uh, the fat clog in your arteries, uh, and over time that can build up and cause a heart attack or cause a stroke. And then there is a scene where the ad cuts to what looks like a lab, and you see was actually a kind of model of somebody's aorta of the, the big artery in their body with a gloved pair of hands squeezing out this fat and the, and the voiceover explains this much was found in the artery of a 32-year-old smoker. So the sort of denouement at the end is give up before you clog up with a call to action to get in contact with the British Heart Foundation. It was the brief for it from, from the BHF was please can you do something to shock and awe and in fact, they've been asked to do something by the NHS, by the Department of Health at the time, uh, who were running a very successful campaign, which used talking heads, people who had died from, or were dying from, I should say, cancer or heart uh, disease or something like that. And they approached the British Heart Foundation and said, we think we need to do something that is graphically more shocking. And we don't think the NHS is a brand can do that because actually the NHS is a brand that is caring and sharing and uh, it feels inappropriate but actually you have the credibility to do it as experts in heart health so we'd like you to do something on the subject of smoking. So they paid for the media and they paid for the production but they um, I think amazingly said to the BHF it's entirely within your gift to do whatever you want we just want it to shock and all. Quite an extraordinary brief 
And actually, also as a planner, a really exciting brief because they had no idea what the message should be. So at the time, there was a lot of chat in the tobacco control world about um, social norms and social influence and things like that. So there was a there was a kind of school of thought that said, "Oh, we should do something about that." And then actually, the sort of take a step back and you think, well, hang on with the British Heart Foundation, it would be extraordinarily odd if we didn't make an ad that made a connection between smoking and heart disease. So that was that was the kind of obvious connection to make. And this was when being a nerd and having a lot of friends who are medics and a couple of friends who are pathologists <laughs> came in very handy because actually what I did was ring them and say, tell me about smoking and, and heart disease, what mm -hmm. happens? And the brilliant bit was when the, the friend of a friend who was a pathologist said, oh, there's this fantastic uh, museum uh, in the basement of the Royal Free Hospital, which is closed to the public, but it houses all of the pickled remains of, of people who've died from sort of strange illnesses. And if you want, I'll show you around, because I'm pretty sure we've got some you know, remains of people who died from smoking-related illnesses. So I had this tour of, of this uh, museum, which was completely transformational, because what it did was make me realise that we talk a lot about smoking-related illnesses and we talk a lot about the fact that you smoke now and 20 or 30 years later you'll die of lung cancer. But actually what nobody had, has ever really exposed until that point was what's happening to you on the inside in, over that 20 or 30 years. So when you look at people's remains and when you see people's arteries, which literally look like they are coated in sort of solidified pizza topping. You have to imagine kind of a mixture of a lot, a lot of cheese and sort of pizza sort of stuff. And that's what people's insides look like. And of course, you never feel it happening. So you have no idea, it's a completely invisible symptom and you have no idea that this is what's happening to your arteries. But that is the, the stuff that builds up over 20 or 30 years and then results in your arteries completely clogging up. So you have a stroke or you have a heart attack. How imaginary and how realistic is the gloopy stuff in the ad? So the gloopy stuff in the ad is, it's based on the truth insofar as the stuff that coats your artery is sort of white, or sort of creamy kind of coloured stuff. Mm. It's solid, so it, you can't really sort of squeeze it out okay. in the same sort of way. But so that was the bit of kind of creative license. So it's and actually this, the gloopy stuff was made from a combination of wallpaper paste and hummus, which I remember from the <laughs> from the ad. Did you test lots of different? Because it's really effective. The production design, I guess, yeah. it is on that is really good. Did you? So I think they played around with lots of different bits, but I think the the really breakthrough thing was which came out in the from the director. And I think is a testament to one of those, the things we always tell clients, which is, you know, the ad is kind of half created by the time you get to the script, but there's mm. a huge difference between the script and the, and the final film. And the way the script was originally written was that when this gloopy stuff came out of the cigarette, everybody would sort of, would react with sort of shock and awe at this stuff coming out. And the director said, no, I think that's completely wrong, actually. I think it's much more powerful if, you know, she just sort of... Um, wipes the sort of nasty stuff away, kind of looking a little bit disgusted, but then carries on because effectively that is what happens all the time. And I think the ad is, you know, a million times better than it would have been if we'd done it the original way. So that was a kind of great bit of directorial sort of input mm -hmm. into that. And and I think the other thing that was very interesting about it was the, you know, we made we were lucky enough to be able to make a sixty second cut, and as always with those sort of sixty second versions, it just lets you tell the story. In a, in a in a much more sort of powerful way, and it was a little bit like I can remember at the time talking to the creatives about um, 
sort of Hitchcock films and horror films and the way in which you get that growing sense of unease mm. and you know that there's going to be something really, really horrible that happens, but it's almost like life carries on as normal, but you can just sort of sense this sort of this kind of nasty sort of feeling building. Mm -hmm. And that's precisely what the 60 enabled us to do. Mm -hmm. um, and what's very interesting is when you talk to people about what they remember about it, they remember these little moments like, um, you know, like her flicking the, the nasty, gloopy stuff away. Because it all feels so uncomfortable, but at the same time, you know, just this kind of growing sense of, of unease, which I think is what's communicated. And it, and it was very, it, it worked. It worked incredibly well. It was, on, on every metric, it sort of blew everything out of the water, actually. So it was the most, there was a lot of stuff happening in market at the time, uh, and it was the most salient ad around that they'd ever measured uh, in terms of sort of cut through and memorability. My proudest nerd moment was that the New Scientist wrote an editorial about it, talking about the fact that for the first time, people looked like they had really thought about how smoking addiction works and how to actually get around it. So rather than trying to sort of persuade, rather than trying to tell people that they should, you know, that they should, they're doing themselves harm and actually why don't they just rationally change their behaviour, what, mm -hmm. what we'd done was sort of create this very powerful emotional connection based on this kind of Pavlovian association between the nasty thing that does you harm and the impact that it's doing to you right now. So yeah, so there was lots of, even though we didn't describe it in that way at the time, there's lots of sort of behavioural economics tied up in it, which, you know, in hindsight, you can now make a kind of narrative about were those sorts of things yes. happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what we did very consciously do was that the communications model was sort of built around, around kind of almost trying to mimic that sort of Pavlovian response. So we did say we've got this nasty little stick that smokers are often quite ambivalent about actually. So they love smoking. Um, they don't like being demonized as smokers, but actually the cigarette itself is, is they're sort of just a little bit more, as I say, kind of ambivalent about. So we thought, why don't we make the cigarette the enemy? And we'll pair that with the harm that's happening to you right now, which you can't see, and we'll visualize that and dr dramatize that so that the two things go together. So when we measured effectiveness, one of the things that we did is we showed people, um, you know, in kind of hall tests, lots of random images of stuff, so a wine glass or a cigarette or an apple, and said, what's the first thing that comes into your mind? And what we found is that with people who, uh, when they saw the cigarette, said, oh, nasty, gloopy stuff, or, mm. you know, um, mm. fat coming out of it or anything like that, they were 50% uh, more likely to quit smoking. So what was really nice was actually finding evidence that the ad worked in the way that we intended it to. So, you know, across every sort of stage of the, of the journey or of the sort of thinking, um, it seemed to work in that way, and that was brilliant. That is brilliant. That's tremendous. Yeah, it's great. Never talked it. The nice, the amazing postscript to it is that all of the health harms advertising that has been done subsequently mm. in this country has, is based on that kind of original uh, approach. So, subsequent ads, so there's one called Mutation, which is where you see a tumour growing on the side of a cigarette. Mm -hmm. And then there's another one which is sort of about the rot that sets it inside you. It's all the same stuff. It's all about what, what can we find that's going on inside you right now mm. that's hidden, that mm. smokers won't know about, and how can we show that happening in a way that's very closely allied to the cigarette. Uh, so it's fundamentally the same creative strategy, but just, you know, as a planner working on the business, and I've worked on a lot of those subsequent ads, you just spend your life looking for another medical story that you can turn into yeah, yeah, advertising. Yeah. Well, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Okay, let's turn to the one, the, the personal connection one, because I think there's an interesting contrast in um, you were talking about what you can do with a 60 second. So what's the yes. personal connection? 
ad. Okay, so the personal connection ad is the ad for the Guardian newspaper, uh, which is called Points of View. And it's very, very old. So I remember this. Uh, I remember seeing it for the first time when I was a teenager um, in the, it would have been 1980s. And, and I have a very strong personal connection with it because my dad is a, was and still is, a kind of obsessive Guardian reader. Right. Um, so it was, it was the newspaper that, and the media brand that I grew up with, um, and he absolutely loved it. And he used to spend ages talking to me about why it was kind of amazing journalism. Uh, so I suppose I was kind of primed to notice this ad. Mm-hmm. And when I did, I thought it just did a phenomenal job of very simply telling the story that my dad had basically told me for years and years and years. Right. So in the ad, you see it's very, it's very short and it's very sparse and that's what's really interesting about it. So we mm. kind of, um, these days, you know, we're always looking for opportunities to, you know, eke it out a little bit longer, kind of add more sort of, you know, beautiful directorial moments into mm. it and all of that sort of stuff. It's and this is... 20 seconds, isn't it? I, I think, think it's, I think it might be 20 seconds, but yeah. it maybe, or maybe 30, but it feels very sort of Spartan and sort yeah, of stripped back, yeah. but it tells the most incredibly sort of clear story. So in, in it, you see uh, a skinhead sort of running down the street and you see him doing that from various points of view, hence the name of the ad, in order to, to make the point that actually what you see and the story that you get told depends on the point of view from which you're looking at it. So for example, you see him run down the street and it looks like he's wrestling a kind of businessman with a suitcase, you know, and you assume, the assumption is that he's going to steal his, his, his uh, suitcase or his, um, I was going to say handbag, not handbag. Briefcase. Briefcase, that is the word I'm looking for. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so you think he might be about to steal the briefcase. Then you look at it from another point of view and you see a whole pile of bricks is about to sort of fall on the ground. And essentially, when the camera pulls out, what you realise is actually what the skinhead is doing is trying to get the businessman out of the way before he's killed by a tumbling pile of bricks off the mm. building site. So the, the sort of voiceover explains that you get a very different picture of an incident depending on the point of view. And what The Guardian tries to do is give you the whole picture. So I think it's, I think it's a great ad for a number of reasons. Firstly, because it's, it's such brilliant, clear, simple storytelling in such a short timescale. I think secondly, because... I guess, kind of ironically, I always think of The Guardian as being a media brand with a very strong point of view, which is not always about telling the whole story, but is actually about telling one side of the story extremely well in a very compelling way. So strategically, mm-hmm. actually, you look at it anything, I'm not entirely sure that that's credible with my perception of The Guardian, but yeah, maybe yeah. it was yeah. 20 years ago. It's more of a generic ad for journalism in a way, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or, um, yeah, or maybe you sort of think for the BBC or for a brand that mm-hmm. needs to to be um, sort of uh, non-partisan. Um, and then I think the third thing that's really interesting about it is that I think fundamentally at its heart, the strategy is sort of not dissimilar from the Three Little Pigs commercial. Um, but actually of the two, I'd always pick the skinhead points of view one. Mm-hmm. Because I think I, I think because of, because of that clarity of, of storytelling and the fact that it's so stripped back and so sparsen, it's just beautifully Told, whereas the Three Little Pigs, which is obviously telling the story of, um, of, of you know how the how the Guardian unpacks again sort of whole story behind a, a trial behind a story, just feels a little bit long and kind of indulgent. It's just yeah, yeah. a really interesting side by side comparison of the way in which we work now and the way yeah. in which stories used to be told thirty years ago. And also one of the realities of um, working on a brand where someone did something brilliant years ago 
mm. it's really hard. It's really hard to top it. Because yeah. you're then, everyone's yeah. going, mm, yeah, it's yeah. no point of view though, is it? Yeah. You know, which is um, difficult. Yes. I think actually there's another thing which I think is interesting as well, um, which is that so often I think we, we try to avoid analogy um, mm-hmm. in advertising. You know, people often say, you know, if you, if you have to resort to an analogy, it's because you can't tell the story in, a, in another way. Yeah. And actually, you sort of go, well, actually, if the analogy is brilliant, yeah. um, then why not? You know, that's yeah. a classic case where it doesn't feel like borrowed interest. It's, it's, not, it's, it's still an incredibly well-branded ad, just because the analogy is really good. It's a yeah, good one. I mean, it breaks up. So I used to work with creative directors who one of their rules was always no pullback to reveal. Oh, uh, really? You That's know, and it is yeah. the ultimate pullback pull to, to reveal. Yeah. But, um, yeah, 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 very good. I suspect a lot of people, that's a lot of people probably of our generation's favourite ad. Yes. I wonder if other people have seen it. I wonder if it's the kind of thing that you would see, that you would know about if you're in your 20s. Or I don't think it is. It's interesting. Whenever I, um, uh, I do a sort of training thing for the account planning group and uh, usually play it in that, and mm. most, a lot of the audience haven't seen it or come across it. No. Um, and then I feel really old farty when yeah, I sort of want. Yeah. But I, when I want to say, you need to watch these kind of, you know, totemic ads, which which show the development of our industry and the yeah. brand thinking. Well, there's no institutional memory in no. advertising, is there? No. So. No. Okay, excellent. Let's do um, ad with an interesting story. So something that, that where, where you think there's sort of something under the surface going on that doesn't get talked about. Uh, so yes, yeah, so I think the ad that, uh, that has an inter- interesting story, and I have to come clean here, I don't really know what that story is, but is the, the VW ad, which I think was made for the Super Bowl, which features a small child dressed as Darth Vader. So it was for uh, VW Passat, and it was for a new... Uh, launch, so I guess it was a model upgrade or something mm. like that. Mm. Um, and I think it is just a lovely, lovely, entertaining bit of film to watch. So, so what happens in the ad is you see this, you see this child who's I guess aged sort of four or five, maybe yeah, yeah four or five, um, dressed in as Darth Vader, and you essentially see his his entire day where he's trying to uh, to make magic happen. So you know, it's him him trying to. Uh, move his cereal towards him and his mum eventually nudges it across or it's him trying to kill his um, little little, little sister's sort of baby doll but the doll doesn't respond in any way. Using the force. Using the force of yeah, course. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so you see this and there's just there's, you know, three or four examples of him trying to put the force into action and nothing happens. And then his dad comes home and a little boy rushes out to the car and again tries to use the force to sort of do something to it. And from inside the house, you see the dad basically get the uh, automatic um, key fob thing. Is mm-hmm. that what it's called? It's probably an official name. That's that Remote be. control oh. for your car. Yeah, thing. yeah. Uh, and, uh, and basically he clicks it and obviously all the lights flash, at which point this little boy just looks so astonishingly stunned. And it cuts to an end frame that says, you know, new VW Passat now with automatic um, or with automatic something or other. or other I can't even remember what it is um, and it is just a wonderful wonderful entertaining bit of film you know so the thing the reason I think it's so interesting is you know it's an incredibly loved and famous bit of film so you can tell you know, it's got millions and millions and millions and millions of YouTube views so clearly mm. it's um, it's been very popular but you look at it and you rationalize it and you think what was the strategy behind that because it's a 
every car these days comes with you know sort of the automatic key fob thing. So I just I'd I'd love to know if what the thinking was, if any, because I look at it and I go, actually, do you know what? It's just a brilliant ad. It's just mm-hmm. a lovely, lovely, lovely bit of storytelling about you know the thing that all parents know, which is that small children like to pretend that they're superheroes, be it or positive ones or you know villains mm-hmm. like Darth mm-hmm. Vader. And they just used that and told a nice little story with it about the most utterly generic strategy for a car you know, there ever was. And I'm sure if it was a car launch, there were probably a lot of things that they were very proud of. You know, maybe they'd yeah, reshaped yeah. the yeah, lights yeah. or, yeah, yeah. you know, done something with the suspension or whatever it might be. But actually what they pick is, is just this completely generic sort of product feature that everything has, but made it their own and made it their own rather wonderfully. And I think, it, it, you know, you sort of go, somebody's written it really sensitively. So there are nice little moments in there where, you know, the doll, I mean, I, I remember watching it and the doll that they've chosen, I must have bought three or four of, you mm-hmm. know, for my kids as they mm-hmm. lost them, grew up with them, had another one. Mm-hmm. You know, so they've, you know, they've got the right brand of doll, which any parent of children that age would recognise. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's, you know, there's some nice, you can say there's some nice insight in it, but it, it's what it betrays is an empathy with what life is like with small children. And, and in fact, all could all have come, as you say, from the director, could all yes. have happened post-script. Yes could all have happened. And it probably suggests a brilliant relationship in there somewhere between agency and client or a brilliant client or someone going, buying not much, basically, in a script going, yeah. Uh, Yeah, and I think you're right. That's probably one that came down to relationships and trusts and that way you sort of think. Because some, you know, I I don't know what you could post-rationalise in it other than this is an opportunity to entertain the US nation mm. at a time when more people are watching telly than any mm. other. So let's just give them something to enjoy. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, last one then is uh, an ad or a campaign that you think deserves more attention. Uh, so this is a, a print campaign that we did for uh, the London Underground. So this was before Transport for London had more to worry about than the Underground and the buses. So it was again, it was quite, right. a, quite a while ago. I think it's a really, really interesting case study because the the, uh, the campaign was for the Northern Line, and uh, the co- the context of this is um, at the time when you're when you're when you're the London Underground's agency, you spend most of your time firefighting and doing ads for stuff which is basically bad news that you need to dress up in a slightly nicer way. So right. it'll be, the Victoria Line is going to be shut for the next four weeks, please find an alternative route. Right. Or we're really sorry that there are terrible delays on the London Underground yesterday. It's that, it's that sort of stuff. So it's, and, and you find, the, ni- the nicest sort of stuff you do for them, you did for them then certainly, was trying to persuade people to use the tube uh, in off-peak moments to go to museums or go to art galleries or you know right, sporting right. events or stuff like that. Yeah. So there's relatively little in terms of sort of good news briefs. So when they come along, um, understandably the client gets really, really, really excited. And this was particularly a time when all, they were just being hammered all the time in the press for the quality of the service and it was terrible and they were always late and there were delays and all of this sort of stuff. Um, so. Eventually, or, or, you know, one day the client brings up and says, "Great news! You know, we've got we've got an opportunity to talk about some really good stuff on uh, on the Northern Line, because we have been introducing all of these little service improvements, um, and it's fantastic stuff that we want to shout about. So we've now got more uh, security cameras everywhere to kind of keep people safe. We've got more platform assistance so they can move people along the platform so that you know the platforms don't become too overcrowded." We've got more litter pickers. Uh, we're installing some cash points in, you know, some of the bigger stations. Fantastic! We've got all these improvements going on. Please, can you do a campaign that sort of celebrates how brilliant this is? 
So we we went into creative you know we had sort of, I can't remember actually what the what the, the brief original brief was but we went into creative development and we came up with um, you know some campaigns and the client was really happy and you know so we said right okay we just need to sort of test it with you know some consumers see what how people respond you know but it was all billed as a sort of gross negative check so it was just in yeah, let's yeah. just tweak yeah, it just in case we to take it into research and it bombed so badly so terribly it actually made people angry you know so it's, it's rare you know generally speaking people you know we've all done groups where people just look utterly uninterested and bored and uh, it's only when i've done political advertising groups or indeed for these groups that people get really angry and they got really angry um, and the reason they got really angry was because we totally failed to you know we got kind of carried away by the enthusiasm of the client mm. and missed the fact that at the end of the day the only thing that people care about is getting from A to B as quickly and as efficiently and with as few sort of problems as possible. Mm -hmm. And so instead we're sort of shouting, whoa, look, 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 how brilliant, we've got a few extra security cameras. And they're saying, yeah, but it's not going to do anything to actually make the trains run on time or make sure I get from here to there without mm -hmm. there being a problem. Mm -hmm. Essentially what we had to do was go right back to the drawing board and think about how on earth do we tell these stories or talk about these things in a way that is not going to incite kind of anger from people because they think we're talking about the wrong thing. What resulted, and I and I have to say it was absolutely a kind of, you know, the creative team who sort of cracked it, was a really beautiful looking print campaign that was designed to look like sort of 1940s sort of Ministry of Information sort of type stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so all text, uh, mm -hmm. no imagery at all. And it was sort of headlines that said things like, unnoticed but actually what you saw was the uh, the only word you saw was notice so it looked like notice as in something to read right. uh, and then what followed was a description which basically explained how all of these little service improvements were all there to help you get from A to B a, a bit more quickly and a little bit more uh, sort of efficiently but actually it doesn't matter if you don't notice them because at the end of the day the only thing we care about is, is you getting from A to B so what they'd managed to do was talk about all of these lovely things, but talk about them in the context uh, which was acceptable and which was um, appropriate for the for the way in which the world was thinking about the underground at the time. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it and it was um, it was a really successful campaign. So actually, we we saw in the tracking that that it cut through and people felt a bit more positive about it, and certainly were a little bit more forgiving of uh, of, of the underground as a result. And I think it's a really really interesting case history in how to advertise a product which is frankly a bit crap um, you know because that's what it was at the time you know mm -hmm. I think you know transport for London now is an amazing thing and the tube's an amazing thing but it, it obviously gets an incredibly hard time from everybody yeah. Yeah. and the tone of voice and this was I think a campaign that was all about tone of voice which was very understated and sort of very modest was the only way in which you could really carry a message like that and so I think by getting that tone right it enabled people to to sort of take it on board and actually take out the benefit, even if if we weren't sort of shouting about it, we were deliberately doing the opposite. Was that a difficult sell to get for, for a client that wanted to celebrate stuff? You ended up with something modest, really, yes, and humble. I think it would have been an incredibly difficult sell if we hadn't actually done that that uh, research, which very clearly demonstrated that doing anything more than that was just going to get people's backs up. So. I think it was probably a difficult sell internally, uh, you know, so actually full credit to the marketing clients mm. who could mm. take it and persuade probably all the people who'd spent the money and found the money to spend on these sorts of things. Who wanted them to who be Who wanted them to be celebrated and celebrated, yeah. that that was the way to do it. So I, th I think it's it was really interesting and they were beautifully crafted 
ad. So they did, you know, so there, I think a couple of them got in, um, got in the book for uh, copy and also for, uh, I think one got in for art direction as well. And I think that is testament to the very high expectations that clients like Transport for London have about the quality of the advertising that they buy. So mm. I think the interesting, you know, when you look at the, the history of that organisation, they mm. have always bought incredibly good work. And I think that is because they are media owners. So most of the, most of the media that you, that you use when you work on Transport for London are essentially poster sites that, that yeah. they have built and they own. So actually yeah. they've got to fill them with stuff and they, yeah. they recognise that one of the roles of advertising is to make the tube look like a slightly nicer environment. Mm-hmm. So they're just very, you know, they've got a lot of experience of doing it. They know what works, but they also know what works for that kind of slightly more um, aesthetic objective that would never be voiced but is sort of always there as in part of corporate history yes and actually i wonder if it it sort of relates to vw in that again all around the world they've got a history of doing great stuff so it's interesting that isn't it i wonder if um because i was just thinking about other clients and the way in which corporate history is often lost and actually i wonder you know it's you know, if there is there is definitely something cultural or in the waters at places like TfL at VW, where there is just a, an expectation and a way of doing things, and mm. a, uh, which seems to breed consistently good work. We should stop there. We should. That's fantastic. Thank you very much, Kate. That's brilliant. Thank you. It's been great fun. Good. Hooray. Mm-hmm.